Grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Uh, you know the drill here at Victory. We take notes as we study God's Word. I'm excited uh, about this message today because we're finishing up this series called Relational Reboot. Uh, and it's this, this opportunity we have in February to kind of take a look at the relationships in our lives uh, and to maybe reset some things that have gotten out of order. Uh, to maybe reboot the whole thing if we've kind of gotten off track. Uh, and so I would just remind you today, we're going to talk about a little bit more weighty things. Uh, there'll be some more mature themes in our service today. Uh, and so if you would like you to take advantage of our kids zone in our nursery, you are more than invited to. Uh, today would be a good day to take advantage of that ministry happening. Because uh, I want to just have a conversation together. Uh, it will be a little bit thing. And you'll see as we go along, uh, as we have this, because I want to just kind of be real with each other this morning uh, and talk about some issues that are plaguing not only the church, but our culture at large. Uh, And so we're going to have that conversation as we go. Uh, Usually in a series like this, though, uh, in a relationship series, usually we would talk about, you know, the the things you would look for in a relationship, maybe the types of friends you should be choosing, uh, maybe even who you should marry, maybe the types of things you should be looking for uh, in your in your life and relationships. And honestly, that's not a bad thing to do, uh, but it is a more worldly perspective The more biblical perspective then is how can I go into relationships? How can I allow God to change me in order to pour back into him? I'm not into relationships for what I can get from them. But honestly, we're called into marriages and friendships and parenting and what we can bring to the relationship. What we can pour back into the person that we're called to bless. And so we at Victory want to study how can God shape me? How can he change me in order to be a blessing to those he's called me into relationship with? How can he do that? And so as we close out the series, I want to deal with probably one of the most pressing underlying issues of your life. And that is emotional freedom, emotional freedom. And we're going to talk about the pain that we walk through in our past, because those emotional wounds in life, when we suffer emotional wounds, they don't show up in the same way that physical wounds manifest themselves in our lives. Now, I've been a person who has been injury prone my entire life. Uh, It's just something I don't know. Maybe I was just born with. I've broken eight or nine bones, cracked a bunch of ribs. Been in the hospital emergency more times than I can count. My poor parents, everybody. It was just an amazing, amazing time for me. More times than I have can count have I tried to remember when my last tetanus shot was. Come on, somebody. You just, you just get as many of those as you can, right? Anytime they offer, just load me up. Just give me, give me my next one. Because I know it'll come in handy. I know I never reached the five-year mark. I just know that something else is going to happen. And so... When you have a physical wound like that, it shows up in a cast or stitches or, you know, recovery process or broken bones. Something happens. There is a lot of blood and you see the results of a physical wound. And so oftentimes when we have emotional wounds, they don't manifest in the same way. They're not as visible. Physical wounds leave scars on our bodies. I, I even know on this campus, when we were rebuilding after the flood, I can't tell you how many times I fell through a ceiling or off a ladder or stepped on nails. It was, I didn't know if I would survive the reconstruction process. And if I could, if it was, you know, I would take off my shoe right now and show you some of the scars from stepping on two nails at once. Come on, somebody. But they leave scars behind. But emotional wounds oftentimes don't. Emotional wounds oftentimes we're not aware or if we are, we don't know how to process them. And so they leave behind. And unlike physical wounds, emotional wounds, if they're not dealt with, if they're not if they're not processed through, they'd never heal. And so you can be 70 years old and somebody touches that wound that you got at 25 and it's still fresh. You still lash out because it's still open. It's still a wound, but we don't see it as a wound because there's no scars or blood or some kind of physical manifestation. And even worse, oftentimes we don't spend any time trying to process them. 
We don't spend any time trying to fix it. We just kind of leave it. And I promise you, it will never heal if it is never processed. It will never heal if it is just left, if they're not dealt with. And so we carry these emotional wounds in life. And sometimes we're unaware of them. Sometimes we're just unaware of how to process them. Sometimes we're unaware of how to bring them to the forefront so that they can be dealt with. Sometimes we just want to pack them to the back. And I promise you that almost every single one of us will we'll somehow process them in a way that we're going to talk about this morning. And I hope that you look at some of these ways. I'm going to touch on three of them. But I hope that you look at these ways and you maybe find yourself in them. Maybe a way that you have processed these kinds of trauma or these kinds of emotional hurts. And maybe the Holy Spirit will do a work in your life to uncover those. Because oftentimes when we have them, we get into this toxic place of promising ourselves, well, I'll never allow anyone close to me again so that never happens again. And we get into a toxic way of, I'll never be able to trust anybody. And honestly, I believe it brings dysfunction to every relationship that we have. That we have harbored these emotional pains for too long, and it is affecting every part of our lives. That it's seeped into our marriages, into our relationships with our kids, into our friendships. That we've allowed those hurts and that baggage that we carry to then taint every single part of our life. And we're going to deal with some of those today. We're going to have some real conversations. And we're going to begin to bring some of those things in the open and deal with them. Because I think too long we have bought into the false belief that people can't be trusted anymore. Or that we can't be honest with others. And honestly, we put everybody into the box of the person who hurt us. And so it begins to affect the way we relate to anybody in our life because we've carried those things for too long. And I wonder how many of us have moments in our lives, whether it was from teachers or coaches or parents or pastors who hurt us in that moment. The things that were said about us or the things that were done to us or things taking advantage of us. And so we are hurt in that moment and we carry those things with us. And we didn't know what to do with it at the time. And so we bury it deep inside of us. And I believe God wants to bring some healing. We're going to pray for that today. I believe God wants to touch some hearts. And I'm going to show you an example of how God heals his people. It's out of Ezekiel chapter 36. And he tells them, he says, I'll give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I just want you to know if you need to have a new heart, only God can give it. If you need to have a new spirit, only God can give that. He says, I'll remove from you your heart of stone. That's that thing that builds walls. That's that thing that sets itself up. It won't connect. It won't have any. He says, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a softness. And so we're going to spend some time. We're going to pray at the end. But I want to spend some time right now. We're going to pray for freedom and healing. We're going to pray God would give you a new heart in that area. But I want to spend some time right now talking about how we get around, how we adapt. Because humans are extraordinary in this ability to kind of kind of adapt to whatever it is that happened and kind of work our way to flow around that obstacle instead of dealing with it. And so I'm talking about three ways that we adapt and three ways that we kind of cope. We have these coping mechanisms that we do when we have when we're not able to deal with the actual pain, we cope with it. We're not able to deal and to deal with the actual wound. And so we kind of work our way around us. First one, jot it down if you're taking notes, is some of us will numb the pain through medication. Some of us will numb. The same way that there is physical medication that we take for recovery and those processes, oftentimes in our emotional wounds, we will try to numb the pain through these things. Some of us, when emotions rise and we feel stress and anxiety and emotional pain becomes fresh again, we don't know what to do with it. We're not ready to process it. And so we try to escape it. We're not ready to deal with those things. And that's where addictions flow from. Proverbs 31 talks about give drink to a one who is dying, one who is in anguish or poverty and let them forget their anguish. So many times when you see somebody who may be a raging alcoholic or you see somebody who may be hooked on drugs or addiction, they're trying to cope with the pain of life in a way they're not able to deal with it. And so they try to take the edge off of it. And so I would remind you today that addicts are not horrible people. Addicts are hurt people. 
That they are hurt people who are trying to take the edge off of whatever it is and they're not able to process and they're not able to cope with whatever that deal is. And so they're trying to take the edge off of those things. And it's not that they're the lowest levels of culture. Like, oh, look at those addicts. Oh, look over with them. I would remind you of two things. One is that they are hurt people. One is that they are trying to cope with those things and they don't know how to process. And the second thing I would submit to you is maybe they're not so different from yourself. Maybe they're not so different just because they're addicted to something different. Just because they have an addiction doesn't mean that you're not coping the exact same way. Because all of us have things that probably if they were exposed, we would be embarrassed of. All of us have areas in our life that if they were exposed, we would be embarrassed of. But we are high functioning in our addiction. And so we're able to keep it a secret from all the ones around us. We're we're able to keep those kinds of things a secret. We're able to keep it where people don't find out about it. People don't know about our addiction. So maybe it is sex. Maybe it is some kind of drug. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it is that retail therapy. Hello, somebody. Come on. But you're able to keep it a secret because you have hundreds of thousands of dollars to blow. But you are blowing it. And so nobody's coming to repossess your car because you have enough money to fund that addiction. You're able to do those things. You're able to buy the thing or get the deal or shop online. Whatever it is that releases that high that you're after. But you're able to hide those things because we're able to keep them a secret. And so we'll judge the rest of the world because they have sin, but we only have issues that we need to run through. Whatever it looks like, we all have ways that we cope. We all have ways that we try to do. All of us go to the border at 3 a.m. for melty, cheesy, crunchy, beefy, right? Everybody hits Taco Bell when life doesn't work out the way that we want it to. And that heartburn takes the edge off of life. Come on, somebody. It just kind of... All of us have way. It may look different for you. Some of you may be binge watching Netflix or Facebook or Instagram. It may be scrolling through the endless cycle, constantly glued to the screen. It looks different for everybody. But I would submit to you, all of us have an area. All of us have an area that if it were exposed, we would be embarrassed. Of, but yet we're willing to judge others because we're able to keep ours a secret. And I think too often times we need to work through those things. We need to bring them to the light and we need to begin to actually process them to allow God to heal us. Instead of trying to just cope. So many ways we try to medicate to take the edge off the pain. And Jesus is having a conversation with a woman in John chapter 4. And she has this gaping wound in her life that she is trying to fill with failed relationship after failed relationship. Failed marriage after failed marriage. And she is giving herself to all of these men. And she meets with Jesus at the well and he calls out that sin. But then he's helping her to realize that there's something deeper going on. That it's not just about her sexual sin. It's about something that's causing that. It's the pain that is driving her to seek that acceptance in the arms of other men. And so Jesus, he's beginning to address this. And he says this at the well. He's talking about the well that's next to him. He replies, anybody who drinks this water will soon begin thirsty again. Jesus is teaching this spiritual principle that if you are looking for affirmation in the arms of some guy, if you are constantly running to get affirmation in the arms of everybody else, if you are looking for somehow to numb the pain through all these other addictions that we give our lives to, if you are trying to come, whatever it is, you're trying to score that next high, you're trying to do that next thing, you're trying to be in that next relationship or trying to have sex, wherever it is you can find it. If you are in that type of trapped reality, Jesus is telling them it will never be enough. It will never be enough to satisfy. You will always be thirsty. You will always come back to the well. You will always try. You will always try to fill that gaping hole with something that cannot satisfy. To fill that gaping hole with something that cannot be enough. And it never will be. It cannot rescue you. Listen to me, church. If you are trying to take the edge off of that pain by trying to just 
flow yourself into all these addictions or try to be in all these things, try to find affirmation in social media or try to give yourself over or try to find the high of an addiction, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. And Jesus gives us hope, he goes on to say, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Listen to me, everybody. The world cannot satisfy. It cannot satisfy. It cannot take the edge off. It cannot redeem. It cannot turn your pain into a purpose. It cannot. Jesus is the only one who can heal you. He's the only one who can change your heart. And it's an inside out. Yeah, give him praise for that. All seven of you, I appreciate you. You... It's an inside out kind of change. It's not outside in. Oftentimes when we try to medicate to numb the pain in our emotional lives, it's an outside in. And it will never actually change you. But inside out change, where he gets a hold of your heart, it says gives you a new heart. Gives you a new spirit. There's freedom that leads you to that. It satisfies the need. The pain that is driving the addiction. The pain that is behind that thing. That's what Jesus can satisfy. It's what he can heal. Others of us, some of us numb the pain. Others of us, we channel the pain through motivation. I told you, you would find yourself in one of these three areas. But so oftentimes, maybe you're not an addict. Maybe the thing you're addicted to is actually just the rush of life. That you have the mantra of America, which is fill up your schedule. Go, go, go. Do, do, do. Do all these things. Always be moving. And we think in our lives, if I can just keep myself busy, I won't have to think about the pain or process it. If I can just keep on moving, I have that. If I can just stay motivated, if I can channel all of this into motivation, if I can build bigger companies, if I can, if I can achieve greater things, if I can be in every place, two places at once, then somehow I won't have to think about the pain that I've endured or the pain. And honestly, it's just another coping mechanism. It doesn't deal with the underlying problem. And too often times we're rushing all around trying to live our lives as busy as we can. And we think maybe if I can get motivated enough, busy enough, maybe if I can do enough things, somebody will affirm me. Somebody will tell me that I'm good. Somebody will tell me that I'm worth loving. Somebody will look at it. Honestly, a lot of times this comes from parental wounds. Where people come out of homes where they're not loved. Or people come out of situations where they haven't been given affirmation. And so they look for it in everybody else in their life. And they begin to look for it in everyone else. And so they spend years working to try to achieve and to perform. Just so somebody will tell them that they're good enough. And too often times we have these wounds where we begin to try to perform and try to motivate and try to channel the pain just so somebody will affirm us. And it's just another coping mechanism. And some of you, you may be feeling that way today. You might feel that wound from maybe a parent or a home or an affirmation or a teacher or somebody who didn't give the love you were supposed to receive. And it wounds us. It wounds us deeply. Solomon was a poster child for this. It's fascinating. You look at the story of Solomon that David was the king and David was a man after God's own heart and loved the Lord. Wrote a bunch of the Psalms. But I had all these different, this passion for God. And that passion got off the rails when he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. The Bible says when kings were supposed to go to war, David stayed home. And it says he's looking out at that moment where he's not where he's supposed to be. And he sees a woman taking a bath. And he decides, i got to sleep with that girl. And so he brings her to the palace. He gets her pregnant. And then he decides he tries to hide it all. And so he calls back in her husband from the war and trying to cover this whole thing up. But her husband is an honorable man. He won't sleep with his wife because the other men are at war. And so David has the husband killed. 
And there's all this scandal. And you think out of all of this, this, he has the husband killed, the wife he brings to the palace, and then the baby dies. There is scandal in this, this relationship, in this life, the whole nation. And this is what Solomon comes out of. Now you have David passing the kingdom to his son Solomon, the son of the woman who had the affair with the king. And you can imagine the talk of why should Solomon be the king? Why does he get to inherit the kingdom? Why is he worthy to rule over us? Why does he? And so Solomon is driven to achieve a lot because he comes out of a lot of chaos. He comes out of a lot of scandal in his past. A lot of things said about him, done around him. And so he's driven to achieve a lot. But even Solomon in Ecclesiastes, it talks about he's pretty successful. So he does all of these things. He said, I tried to find meaning. He comes out of this chaos. He has these wounds of the scandal in his past. And so he tries to find meaning in the things that he does. And he said, I tried to find meaning in building huge homes for myself. These are our possessions. These are the things we try to heap up for ourselves to try to cope with the pain that we've experienced. And he says, and by planting beautiful vineyards, these are the hobbies and the things we try to channel our experiences through. Things we try to bring into our lives. And he says, I brought slaves, both men and women, and others born in my household. He goes on the next, I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. The Bible says Solomon made... Israel so rich, Jerusalem so rich, that silver in Jerusalem wasn't considered valuable. That silver in Jerusalem wasn't, he, everybody got rich on it. He said, everybody, the wealth was unbelievable. And he goes on to say, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. And we know that he did that because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A thousand women, everybody. How many know that did not work well? That just did not, uh, that's a sermon for another day. He found great pleasure in hard work. He said, a reward for all of my labors. But I took a step back from all of this and watch this. He said, I realized everything I had worked so hard to accomplish was meaningless. Everything I had channeled all of that into the, I came out of the chaos, but I have done so many great things. Everything I tried to do is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind, nothing worthwhile anywhere. And I just want you to hear today what Solomon tells us. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how many cars you own. I don't care how many houses you build. I don't care how many businesses you create, how many businesses you sell. I don't care how many riches you have. I don't care how many hobbies and things you are great at. I don't care how many zeros are at the end of your bank account or at the end of your paycheck. Listen to me. It will never be enough to satisfy the emptiness in your heart. It will never be enough. It will never be enough. I don't care how many things you try to throw at that problem. You will never solve it by chasing after the things of this world. Only God can give you a new heart. Only God can heal the wound that's inside of you. Only he can heal the pain that is fueling these things in our lives. It's only he that can do it. Last group is those who drowned in the pain through meditation. Some of us medicate. Some of us right, begin to, to motivate. And some of us, we just meditate. Just think over that thing that happened to us. That thing, that time that we were taking advantage of. We're just thinking about it all of the time. And you know those types of people, and maybe you are one of them. You just sit on the couch and stare at the wall, and maybe a couple of hours suddenly disappear. And you just think about those things that happened to you. You just can't get out of that. You drown in the meditation on what those things were. You can't escape it. And so those thoughts begin to plague you oftentimes. All you think are those words that were spoken over you, that time you were taken advantage of, those person maybe that left the wound. Maybe it was a pastor or a teacher. Maybe it was a coach or a parent. And all you do is think about those things they said. We drown in the meditation. You rehash it over and over. Jeremiah had a moment like this. It says this in Lamentation. He said, I remember my affliction and my wonder. He says, I meditate on them. I remember them. The bitterness 
and the goal. He's meditating on the things that happened to him, the relationships that were broken, the things that occurred in his life. He said, I remember those things. He says, I'm meditating on them. He says, I remember them well. And my soul is downcast within me. When all of those things are the focus of your life, when all of those things that happened to you, all of those things that occurred, all of those things that were wronged you, all of those things are the focus of your life, depression is the outcome. It's the outcome of that. And I just want you to recognize today that we are living in a season of depression and anxiety. That we are living, that it is spiking at unheard of levels. That we are living in unprecedented times of war and the pandemic and all these things. And honestly, it is all accessible more than it has ever been before in our lives. That you are bombarded with those messages. And so oftentimes in our own lives, we are bombarded with those messages of all those things. And our attempts to ignore those, to ignore emotional trauma and to ignore emotional pain has given rise to honestly one of the greatest seasons of depression the world has ever seen. That is occurring everywhere inside the church and outside. That suicide is spiking at rates we have never seen before in our lifetimes. That it is beginning to be this incredible upheaval in our world. That people are turning to that as a solution more than ever before. I tell you, it is no solution. It is no solution. And I promise the media won't touch this because it's not part of the agenda. But you need to be aware that it is happening and you need to be protecting yourself from this. That there are times that we are in this season that people are walking through these depression times alone. They feel they can't reach out to anybody. But listen to me, suicide is never the answer. It's never the answer because it is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Listen to me closely. You do not have to die to end your pain. That it is not the answer to anything. It is not the answer that there are people who love you. There are people who want to talk to you. If you're walking through a season like that, the answer is not to close yourself off. The answer is that we are here to love you. This church's doors are open. Our pastors are here to talk with you. We want to love you. And if you're in that place, I promise you, there are people who want to be with you and to love you and to walk alongside of you. That it is not the answer. And if you don't want to talk to us, there's a number that you can call. I promise you, there are some people who are waiting to love you. That are waiting to talk with you, to walk this thing through for you. Don't let yourself get discouraged and despondent and isolated. Don't let yourself get so far away that you think that it's some sort of, I promise you it is no answer. That there is healing for your pain in this life. That it is temporary. I know inside of the season it's hard to see over the walls or over the wave that you are in right now. But I promise you there is hope in Jesus Christ and there is an answer to your pain. And so we believe, we believe And we love and we want to stand alongside of you and whatever that is. Our church is here to navigate that with you. But too often times we're trying to process these things. We're trying to do it when we're isolated. We're trying to do it apart from anyone else. And it's impacting every one of our relationships. Too often times we're isolating ourselves in seasons of depression. And it's impacting our marriages and our kids. It's impacting our friendships. It's impacting the relationships that we have. Our perspective of the world. Remind you, Ezekiel 36 God said, I would put a new heart inside of you. I would renew your spirit. He says he wants to do something incredible in your life, something miraculous, something only he can do to hit the reset on your life. Hit the reset on your relationships. I'm going to show you how God does that. We're going to go to John chapter 5, a chapter later. I love following Jesus around in the gospel, seeing how he ministers to people. Because Jesus now has made it to Jerusalem and he's going by the sheep gate and he's near the pool of Bethesda. And it's this pool that the Bible says an angel would come every so often and stir the waters. 
And anybody around this pool that would be the first one into the waters when they would be stirred would be healed of their affliction. This miracle pool. And so you would imagine this thing would attract all of the sick and the lame and the afflicted. They would all come and surround this pool, waiting to be the first person, thinking, if I can just be the first one in, I don't have to live with this affliction anymore. And the Bible talks about, it says, they were all surrounding the pool, waiting to see what would happen. And I think sometimes in our lives, sometimes I look around at people who are emotionally hurt, and when I have emotional pain of my own, I look around, it's almost like we're waiting for something to happen. We're not sure how to deal with it. We're not sure how to cope with it, but we're just waiting, waiting to see. But Jesus walks into the midst of this situation. He walks up to a certain guy. Watch this in verse 5. He walks up verse 4. He walks up to this guy. He says, a man lying there who had been sick for 38 years. Now, the Bible is clear to, to make this differentiation because oftentimes it'll say he was born with the affliction. He was born blind or he was born like this or born like that, paralyzed, whatever it is. But it makes that distinction here where he wasn't born with it, but he's been 38 years sick with it. 38 years that he's had this thing for 38 years afflicted. And now he finds himself laying at the edge of the pool and Jesus comes along and sees this man and watch this. He knew that he had been sick for such a long time. Jesus knew the background. He knew he had been sick for 38 years in his life. And Jesus looks at him and he asks him this question. Do you want to be well? And it seems almost like an offensive question. It's okay to to kind of have that. It seems almost offended. But I love that Jesus asks it first because I want to ask it of you this morning. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? The Lord wants to heal your emotional wounds and change the trajectory of your life. He wants to give you a new heart inside of you. He wants to heal your relationships. My question for you today is, do you want it? Do you actually want to be healed of the emotional wounds that you've sustained in your life? And before you answer, I would remind you that oftentimes people, even Christians, don't actually want what they say they want. Because all of us would say, yeah, I want to be healed. Yeah, I want to be whole. I want to be I want God to touch me. But do you really do you really want God to heal you? Because there are consequences that come along with that healing. There are consequences that come along with being well. And so I ask you again, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Verse 7, look at the man's response. He answers Jesus, Lord, there's nobody to help me get into the pool. And when the water starts moving, and while I'm coming to the water, somebody else always gets in before me. Now, this is Jesus of Nazareth. His reputation is he heals the sick. He opens blind eyes. He raises the dead. He is the miracle worker. This is Jesus of Nazareth who heals the multitudes. And now he is looking at this one individual He has come to this one man at the side of the pool and he's asking this one individual and he's saying, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? And that man doesn't look at him and say, yes, tell me what I need to do. Touch me or look to heal me. Yes, I I don't care what it is. Tell me I'll do anything. Look at what the man's response is. His response is not, Lord, save me. Lord, heal me. God, I'll do anything you want me. His response is, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. That somebody else didn't put me in the pool. Somebody else keeps stealing my blessing. And honestly, I think this addresses what has become a systemic issue in the world around us today. One of the greatest systemic issues I see rising in our culture today, and that is a victimization. That it's not my fault. It's not my, it's someone else's fault. This man says, it's not my fault, I'm still sick. We say, it's not my fault. I'm still like this. It's not my fault that I don't have a job. It's not my fault I have these fits of anger. It's not my fault I treat people in my life like this. It's not my fault I lash out. It's everybody else's fault that they didn't do this. And they didn't do that. They, they, they weren't there when this happened. And someone else took that job. And somebody else took my spouse. And somebody else did this to me. And somebody, It's not my fault. 
And oftentimes we bring that mentality even to God when he says, I can touch you. I can give you a new heart. I can I can save you. I can redeem you. I can heal you in every area of your life. And we come with this idea, not of Lord, I'll do whatever it takes. But we come with the idea of it's not my fault. It's not my fault this thing happened. Someone else took my opportunity. God, it's not my fault. If you're going to be free from pain, number one, jot it down if you're taking notes. Freedom is going to require your participation. It's going to require your participation. Listen to me, church. Someone else is not the secret to your miracle. Somebody else does not hold the keys to your future. It was not your fault that you were taken advantage of. It was not your fault that you were a victim in the moment that it happened. It was not your fault that you were betrayed. It was not your fault that you were rejected in that moment. But it is your fault that you have wallowed in it for 38 years and allowed it to shape and to take hostage the life that God has called you to live. That is your fault. And too often times we allow those things, we allow those excuses to keep us from actual healing, from processing. Too often times we have that mentality. Don't let the media try to tell you that you have to wait for somebody else to rescue you, that the government has to fund you in order for your life to get back on track. No, God is calling you to step out. God is calling you to take a step of faith and watch this story as Jesus ministers to him. Because the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us in this life, who can be against us? That we are overcomers. That we are victors, not victims, because of the victory that Christ won at Calvary. That we have that in our lives. God speaks that over us. And so too often times, we want to fall into the trap of victimization. But God is saying, we are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus, who shed his blood for us. That we have to begin to call out those times in our lives. Call out those excuses. Now, everybody says they want that. But watch what Jesus says. Verse 8. He says, oh, yeah, you want to be free. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus just brushes through this whole, it's not my fault. And this is my, he says, you want to be free. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Because Jesus knows this man's mentality. It's not my fault. Somebody else didn't put me in the water. Jesus didn't say, oh, that's so sad. I, I give you permission to now stay here. And wallow in this. He didn't say, I'm going to sit with you and I'll be the one that puts you in the water. We'll just, we'll get this thing right. He didn't give any, any heed to that man's excuses. He just said, hey, you want to be free? Stand up, pick up your junk and walk out of this place. He says, stand up, pick up and walk. In other cases, he would grab people by the hand. He would touch people. He would lay. Not in this case. In this case, he told this man, he knows the mentality. He told this man, stand up and walk out of this place. Stand up and walk out of this place. He said, yeah, you want to be free? Stand up, pick up your junk. And walk. And too many times there are consequences for our healing. Because now that this man is healed, he can't lay around at the pool all day. Come on, somebody. (laughs) That'll preach to somebody. (laughs) Slightly out of context, but that'll preach to somebody. When you are emotionally healed, you no longer have that excuse. When God heals you emotionally, you no longer have that excuse. You can't throw pots and pans anymore. Come on, somebody. You're not allowed to to lash out at everybody in your life and then blame your daddy about it. You're not allowed to do all those things. You're not allowed to kick the dog. You're not allowed to say, well, it was so-and-so that did this. So That's the reason I'm treating so-and-so like this. There are consequences to health. He says, pick up the thing. You can't stay here anymore. Walk out the journey and watch what happens immediately. The man was well. Immediately the man was well. I would just remind you, you're not called to do the miracle. You're just called to obey. You're just called to take the step of faith God has told you to do. He told him, stand up, pick up your junk and walk. That was all within the realm of what the man could do. God does the miracle immediately. The power of God came on this man's life and healed him. And he picked up his mat and began to walk. The day it happened was a Sabbath day. And that's a whole other thing that they come after Jesus for. But I love that he did it on a Sabbath. 
Because we're going to pray today that God would do a miracle in your life and in my life as well. But he heals him and he walks out of there. And too often times there is a step for you to take and we're not taking it. Too often times there's something we are called to do, but we're not willing to step out in faith and to do it. We cannot get trapped in this holding pattern as a victim saying it's not my fault. It's not my fault the pastor didn't call me. It's not my fault the small group wasn't at the right time that I I needed to go. It's not my fault that they didn't have that opportunity for me open. It's not my fault that so-and-so didn't do the thing I wanted them to do. It's just not. There are consequences for health that we have to begin to step into. You want to be emotionally healthy. You got to pick up your stuff and you got to walk. You got to pick it up and you got to walk. Stop living the way that you're living when you are emotionally healthy. There's some consequences that come out of that. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? I'm preaching good, everybody. I'm preaching. (laughs) I'm helping you, okay? I'm helping you. Verse 14, Jesus found the man later. Watch this. After Jesus dealing with the whole Sabbath thing and all of that, he goes and finds the man later at the temple. And he says to them, I love this story because this is one of the only ones that ends this way. He finds the man again and he says to him, see, you are well now. And I'll just take a time out. That word well means completely whole. It means completely restored. It means that people could not even tell that that man had been afflicted. And I promise you, when God heals you, when God touches you, there is a healing that can come where you don't even bear the scars of what it is that you went through. That you don't even do. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they come out of the fire, it says they didn't even smell like smoke. You don't have to smell like what you went through. When God heals you, people would look at your life and would never know that you went through that. I get it all the time here at Victory. Some of the most joyful, passionate people about God you will ever meet have come out of the most horrendous situations you can imagine. And people would say, I can't, no way they could ever have walked through that. No way they could ever experience anything. No, listen to me. They have come out of it. God has healed them and they are on their way on their purpose in God's eyes. They are healed and they are well. That's what that word means. But Jesus looks at this guy. He says, now you are well. And he's talking about the physical. Now you have, you have been made whole. You have been healed. But he says, but stop sinning so that something worse does not happen to you. But Jesus is saying, look, bro, there is something worse than being paralyzed at the pool of Bethesda. There is something worse than the afflictions that hit us in our physical life. There is something much worse than any kind of of invalidity that could come in this physical life. He's saying there is something so much worse inside of you. The Bible says it's better to go into heaven maimed than it is to go into hell fully bodied. He said there is something worse that can happen than that. And he says you have to you have to identify that pattern. Everything Jesus did was pointing people to the kingdom. Every healing he did was to show that he was the son of God. Everything he did pointed people, not just to physical healing, pointed them to spiritual healing. That he was salvation. And so he's saying, you need to stop repeating those, that God wants to do a process in your life. And so number two, the second thing we have to realize is freedom is a process. That is a process that we walk through. Because God's going to set you free, but that doesn't maintain itself beyond that moment. That we have to walk out this life in Christ. That the life we live in him, the life we begin to live in Christ is what maintains that freedom. That remaining rooted in him is what maintains the healing. It's remaining in him. It's beginning to live out life God has called us to do. He says, be wary. He says, be careful that you don't go on sinning or something worse may happen to you. He talks to this man. And so you're going to have to fight. I'm telling you, when you are healed emotionally, you're going to have to fight to maintain that every day. To fight to maintain. The Bible talks about I am crucified daily. And the life I want to live, I no longer live. Because I have been crucified with Christ, and now I no longer live, but he that lives inside of me. And so too many of we talked about this last week. Every day we have to die to that life we want to live. Every day we have to live in Christ. That's what maintains freedom. That's what maintains freedom. 
It's saying, don't go back. And too often times we allow ourselves after that moment we have, we allow ourselves to get isolated. It's why we come together as a church. It's why we have small groups living life together. That you have people around you that are able to look into your lives and say, hey, don't go back to that, that mentality of victimization. Hey, don't go back to that thing that kept you hostage from the purpose God has. Hey, you are talented and you are skilled and you are gifted and God still has a purpose for you. You need people in your life that can speak that over you. You have to have those relationships. It's why we have the small groups. We have hundreds of people meeting, encouraging one another, lifting one another up. And you need people that can be real with you, that can look you in the eyes and say, hey, don't say that junk. Hey, don't have that mentality of a victim. Hey, you're better than that. Hey, you don't have to live like that anymore. Hey, you don't have to do that anymore. Christ has set you free. It's that relationship we have walking out life together that helps us maintain that freedom. Helps us maintain that. It's a pattern. And then verse 15, as we close, the man looked at the people. He looked at Jesus and then he went back out and watch what he does. He left and he told his people. He told his people that Jesus was the one who had made him well. After that moment, Jesus had to find him again and let him know, hey, there's something worse than just physical. There's something worse than what I was saying. He says, there's, you need to actually have your life back on track. Listen to me. Jesus has a purpose for you. There is purpose to your freedom. There is purpose to your freedom. That it is a process we go to. It does require our participation. But if I could tell you one thing that you could remember, there is a purpose to the freedom God has for you. There is a purpose to that. God's not trying to just get you out of your addiction just for the sake of that. He's not trying to get you out of that, that lifestyle or whatever it is. He's not trying to set you free just so that you would be free. There is a purpose that he has for your life. There's a purpose he has for you. And I would just tell you, you need to find that purpose. Every single one of us, I believe every single person that is on this planet has a purpose from God. And you need to find it because Jesus is not just trying to get you from the pool. He's trying to get you to your purpose. I love the verse that says his people. He went and told his people. Jesus is trying to get you to your people that you are called to reach, that you are called to tell about what Jesus has done for you. Your freedom has a purpose. When he sets you free, you're beginning to go to tell others how they can be set free, to tell others of what God has done in your life. Because there are people, and some of you, it is the people that are right around where you are. It's his people it talks about, that he tells about Jesus. The people you are called to reach are the ones right around you. That spouse that is calling and craving for you to be engaged in that marriage. Your kids that are calling and wanting you to pour back into them. To love them. Those people, those friendships that you have created that need you to reach out to them. That need you to pour back into them. Desperately need you to be engaged in the relationships. If I could just talk to parents right now. Those children that need you. That need you to pour back into them. Those of you may be biological children. Those of you, it may be those that you have fathered or mothered over. They need you to be engaged in that relationship. They need you to be over there to begin to affirm and to love and to raise them up in the purposes God has for you. For some of you, you didn't come out of that. Some of you, your parents never gave you that love or affirmation. But I promise you, somebody in those generations need to stand up and say, I'm breaking this curse off of my family. That I know my parents may not have given it, but I'm going to give it to my kids. Somebody has to stand up and say, not on my watch, that we're going to break off generational curses, that it may have happened before, but I'm not going to pass it on. And we begin to say, I'm going to break off those things. Somebody has to say that. Let it be you. Let it be you. That he went to his people and began to share those things. And too often times, though, we, we wallow back in it or we're set free, but we're never able to give it to anybody else. We're never able to share that love. And it may look different for you. 
Maybe that we're sitting there scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, not looking at the relationships in our actual lives. Maybe that we're ignoring the kids that need our affection and our love, trying to get somebody who doesn't even know we exist to give us love and affection. Too oftentimes we're pouring all of our effort in the wrong places when it's right around you, the purpose you are called to reach, the people you are called to reach. We're staring at walls when there are people who need real relationships. Need real relationships. And I promise you there is a purpose on the other side of your pain. There is a purpose in the freedom and the healing that God can bring to your life. We have to see it. There are people who are waiting on the other side. Even outside of this church, there are people who are headed for a Christless eternity. And their eternity weighs in the balance. It hangs in the balance of our obedience. That we would reach them. That we would tell them about what God has done for us. And in 1 Peter, the Bible says it this way. It says, you are a chosen people. That you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's what God says about you. That's how God views you. And never let the devil try to work this lie into your mind that this message is for somebody else. That this, this idea of freedom and healing, this is just for, for somebody else. This is just for other people. Oh, this message is just for people who were picked last on the sports team. And it's just for people who were picked on in school. It's not for people who were raped. It's not for people who were taken advantage of. It's not for people who found addiction at a young age. Those people are too broken for God. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I want you to know, I don't care what you went through. I promise you, you are God's holy people. You are chosen. You are his possession. You are a royal priesthood. That's how God sees you. That God loves you desperately. That he still has purpose for your life. That he wants to free you and he wants to heal you. He wants to touch your life. He wants to bring you out of that darkness. And watch this. He wants to bring you out of all that junk, called you out of darkness for this one purpose that you would declare the praise, that you would lead others to Jesus, that you would lead others to his miraculous light, that he has called you out, that it doesn't matter what was done to you. It does not matter where you came from. God loves you. God wants you. God has chosen you, our special possession. You are a royal priesthood. God has chosen you. He has a purpose for you. And never more than now has the world needed the church to stand up and to say, I know what God can do because I've seen him do it. To talk to others and say, I know what my God can do because I have seen him work. That I am a living example of what God can do in a life. I'm a living example of how God can heal a person, of how God can set you free. Never more than now has the world needed the church to rise and to say, we know the goodness of our God. We know the power of our God. And we know that he can do it for you as well. But we have to answer that question first. Do you want to be well? Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I want to pray that God would touch us supernaturally. That God would begin to heal us from our emotional wounds. That God would do what only he can do. That he would give us a new heart and a new spirit. That he would renew us. Before I pray that prayer though, and I want to pray that over our whole church. Right now I want to talk to those of you who may be far from God. And maybe you followed him at one point and maybe pain took you far, far from him. Or maybe you've never followed God. Doesn't matter where you are right now. We're all going to pray. But I want you to know that your relationship with Jesus is the catalyst where all of this flows from. There is no freedom apart from Jesus. There is no healing apart from Jesus. Surrendering our lives to him is the first step to everything we've talked about today. 
But I want you to know if that's you, if you find yourself far from him, whatever pain drove you there, it does not matter. He still loves you. And he still wants you. And maybe you have a warped sense or a view of who God is that he's just waiting to judge you. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. I promise you, Jesus, it didn't come to judge you. He came to free and to rescue you. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God still wants you. As broken as you are. As misused as you have been. All the things that have been done unto you. God still wants you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So here's what we're going to do. If you want to have that relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you in this moment. But if you want to have that relationship with him. I want to pray a prayer of surrender with you. That's how it starts. We commit our lives to him. We call him Lord. We lay down our control of our lives. We ask him to make us brand new. And here's the miracle I promise you. If you surrender your life, he will make you new. The Bible says he will make you new. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new perspective of the world. He'll heal you and he'll set you on your purpose that he has for you. But it starts with a prayer of surrender. And all of us are going to pray this. Nobody prays alone. But if that's you, I want you to pray these words out loud. And to mean them in your own heart. As we pray it with you, say, Jesus, save me. I repent of all of my sin. All my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for our entire church. And right now, church, if you would like to, if you're comfortable, just open your hands. I just want to pray over you as we close this service. If you're watching online, you're in the room, just open your hands like you're going to receive something. I just want to pray, Father, right now, I pray healing over emotional wounds. God, I pray healing over emotional wounds and trauma that have happened, God. Painful moments, hurtful words, times, God, that they were taken advantage of. Times, God, that they were misused. Times, God, that they were rejected or abandoned. I pray right now for your healing. Not the healing of any person, not the healing of any person that could try to give a plan or a thing. We ask right now for supernatural healing. Supernatural healing, God, that you would do, God. We ask right now. And so, Lord, those that came out of situations... Where they were rejected by people they thought they could trust. They were spoken over by people who should have loved them. But they were misused and taken advantage. I pray healing in those situations. God, I pray that right now we're seeing the impact that those moments may have had on the world around us, on our relationships. I pray healing. I pray supernatural touch of God on those relationships, on our marriages on our relationships with our kids, on our friendships that we hold dear, on men, God, just relationships with family members, God, that you would begin to bring healing. God, we ask you would put a new heart inside of us. God, we take authority right now over depression and anxiety. We take authority, God, over every thought that tries to come against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We take authority over anxious thoughts. We take authority, Father, over fear. We take authority, God, over all these things that try to find their way in. God, in the name of Jesus, we bind up any thought that would set itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray right now. God, I pray that you would heal us. 
God, in areas that we've tried to cope, in areas that we tried to push to the side, that you would heal us. Any area we tried to medicate, God, that we've tried to gloss over, we tried to numb. God, I pray for supernatural healing. For those of us, God, that have tried to channel our pain through our motivation, God, tried to chase after every other thing, I pray right now for healing, that we would find our purpose and our calling in you. Those of us, God, that have spent years meditating and trying to focus on the things that were done to us, I pray healing right now in the name of Jesus. That we would be able to walk out of that trauma, to walk out of that situation, God. We would leave it behind. And that we would step into the purpose you have for every single one of us. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, healing over our relationships, healing over marriages, healing over families, healing over our friendships healing over every relationship in our life right now in the name of Jesus, that we would, God, step into the blessing you have for us. We give you praise and we give you honor for all that you're going to do. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we give God praise for what he's done today?